I, I want to read this statement. I, I sent this to our governance team. If you're new to our church, how we operate here, I'm in a permission-giving relationship with the governance team. And so when there's significant moments, I share with them what I feel like God's asking me to do to get their permission. And so this, I sent this to them on Friday. And uh, these are just my thoughts. and ref- Your thoughts and reflections on what happened on Friday might be different than mine. As you're going to hear from the sermon tonight, we're, we're okay with that because that's part of the culture of our church is entering into a conversation with each other when we don't see eye to eye. But I just wanted to share with you some of my thoughts. Since we're living in historic times, we're seeing victories in rooting out racism. We're seeing victories securing justice for people regardless of the color of their skin. And we saw on Friday a historic victory in Roe v. Wade being overturned. All of these victories for me, for me personally, they flow from the same foundation, and that's an uncompromising belief in the sanctity of life. In 1973, the Supreme Court established that abortion was a constitutional right that could not be unduly restricted. But on Friday, the Supreme Court overturned that 1973 decision, effectively giving state legislatures the freedom to pass laws accordingly that are a reflection of their constituency. I I called Ryan Holloway, who's the executive director of CareNet. He's a personal friend. On Friday morning, as soon as I got the alert, I was just actually walking in here to pray Friday morning when my alert went off. And so I called him right away. And, and, uh, and, I, and I just said, Ryan, if, if you were able to be here and say something to our church, what would it be? And he said, Fred, this is what I would say. I want people to know that our mission has not changed. No, no matter what happened on Friday and no matter what laws may or may not be passed in Virginia, I, I, he said, our mission as an organization has not changed. Is that even a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, no matter what changes, the, the, the complexity, the, how overwhelming the emotions are if you're facing a pregnancy that's unwanted, that's not going to change for people. And there needs to be ministries on the peninsula that comes along and serves and ministers to those families with love and care and compassion and empathy. And so we're proud to support them. We're proud to be a part of them. We're going to actually send an additional check. They're on our, our, our monthly support, but we're going to send a check from the Missions Fund for $1,000 this week because we want them to know that we're standing with them in the ministry that they do. So, Father, I just lift Ryan up to you today, his entire staff, and I just pray that they would just have such a sense, Lord, of, of, of you just breathing on them, that they would feel refreshed, that they would feel rejuvenated. We, we know that the weight of any assignment, Lord, can feel overwhelming at times. And so I pray for them that they're just going to have just such a sense of you strengthening them. We, we pray for all of these missions groups that we support. We just pray that, that 2022 is going to be a banner year financially for them, for all of those organizations, for all of those missionaries, that this is going to be a year where there's just going to be a generous outflow of giving. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, Amen. If you want to learn more about Care Night, you can do that. They're easy to find online. Again, you can get in touch with Pastor Justin, and, uh, and he can connect you to them and to that website. The Bible tells a story, and you and I have a part to play. The Bible tells a story, and you and I have a part to play this slide that's going to come up if you're visiting with us, this is the sermon series that we're in. 
And each week, we're just taking a little piece of it. And by the time we get to the end of it, I don't know how long we're going to be in it. Already, it's the longest series that we've ever done. But we, we decided that this year, I felt like God was asking me this year to walk people through the kind of the meta-narrative of the Bible from start to finish. What is the story the Bible is really telling? And so we're just breaking this down a piece at a time. And you and I have a part to play. I was talking to some of the elders this week and other people in the governance team that, you don't forget, God chose us to live in this time in history. So everything that's happening, whether you're for it or not for it, just if you're a Christ follower, he picked you to live at this moment in history. It's part of your story. It's part of your journey. And so this is where we are to date, which the next slide is going to show that we still have quite a bit still to do. And what we're going to focus in on today, and I think this Saturday and next Saturday, I think this is part one of part two, could be part one of part three. We'll see how time allows us. But John 1, 12 to 13, right there to the right of the cross to the left of God. Now, let me read these. I'm going to read these in four different translations because I feel like they, all of them together give us the whole picture. And then based on what your background is, you might have a greater familiarity with one of these translations over the other. John 1, verse 12. This is out of the New Living Translation, which is the majority of our verses come from that on Saturdays. But it says, But to all who received him, referring to Jesus, and accepted him, Right? There's a clarifier there. To both believe and accept, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, the New American Standard Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. So again here, we see this clarifier that receiving and believing, they work in partnership together. The ESV reads this way, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, I'm throwing in the King James Version because I like this version too. I grew up with this version, and there's a little bit of a change here, which I like. It says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power. So it changes from right to power. He gave him power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Next week, again, next week or a few weeks out, I'm going to talk more about what it means to receive and believe from a theological perspective. I want to talk about it tonight from a practical perspective. Or maybe next week the question I'm really going to ask is, have I received because I believe? Because I think there's a lot of people walking around who believe in who Jesus is. The question is, have they received in the way that the Bible refers Receiving and believing, it means many things, but what it's going to mean for us tonight is receiving and believing means that you are committed to following the example of Jesus for the rest of your life. Believing and receiving means that you are committed to following the example of Jesus for the rest of your life. So my question for you tonight is, are you willing to follow the example of Jesus? I just want to let that question just hang in the room for a minute or in your kitchen, or in your living room, or on your back deck if you're watching online. Are you willing to follow the example of Jesus? Because I think sometimes our reaction is to answer that question as yes. But I think sometimes we answer hurriedly without thinking of what the implications really are. 
Because the implication is this, how far are you willing to go? If you're willing to follow Jesus, are you willing to follow him when you don't like where he's leading you? Are, are you willing to follow him when it's not your choice or your preference? Or are you willing to follow him when everything inside of you is saying, I don't think I want to go down this road? Are you willing to follow the example of Jesus? I, I'm going to show you these three circles tonight because I believe these are an important part of the example that Jesus has for us. I believe that his incarnation is not just an important theological statement. I believe his incarnation is an example for us. I'm going to go as far to say that his example should be our experience. There's something in the incarnation of Christ, I'm going to define that term when we get there, that is our example. Then there is a vicarious example. Because he came, he died. I'm going to talk about what I believe that means for us in part. And then the last one is a resurrection example. I've numbered them because I believe they're sequential. I, n I number them because I believe you can't get to the one without the other. We, we love circle number three. Do we not? We, we love us of circle number three. We do not like us circles one and two. Right? We, we, this is like when your kids are little... They want to get to the pie, but they don't want the broccoli road that gets them there. You with me? Thank you, Brentley. Please don't make that boy eat any more broccoli, Alan and Stephanie. So good. I love it. I don't know if you played shoots and ladders with your kids when they were growing up. That was a common game. We're, we still love games. Our kids are all college age. We, we play all kinds of games. I don't know if you, I'm just throwing, this has nothing to do with my sermon, but chronology, have you found chronology, the game chronology? You should find that game. It's, it's a ton of fun. If, you're, if your kids are, are in school and, and know about history, we, we're, we are a gaming family. We also did not let our kids win when they were little. If, if you know Vanessa and I, you know that is true. You know that is true. We, we raised us some competitors. Shoots and ladders, right? Shoots and ladders is, is you, if you hit on the right spot, you bypass things to get ahead. Or sometimes you can fall back. There's no shoots and laddering with Jesus. We, we got to pass through to get to. We have to pass through to get to. Jesus does not negotiate with us. We can't come to him and say, Jesus... I just, I know circle two is important, but if you could just get me to circle three. He does not lower the standard to us. He raises us to the standard. He parents us the same way I hope you're parenting your children. These circles, they are unnatural for us. It's okay to say, I do not like dying to self. Nothing wrong with it. It's unnatural. When Jesus says to love your enemies, I have never met in over 20 years of pastoral ministry, has anybody ever said that was their favorite verse in the Bible? <laughs> What's your favorite verse? Just when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, love, I just try to, no, nobody, right? Because our humanity pulls against that. Sometimes we think because our humanity pulls against it, it's not good for me. Sometimes when your humanity pulls against it is the best indicator that 
it's the direction that you need to go. It's unnatural. It's okay to not want to hear me say some of the things that I'm going to say tonight. Let me talk about the incarnation example. The incarnation example. The incarnation means it's a big word theologically. We're just going to focus in on one part of it. It certainly means that he was both God and, and, and man at the same time, but that's not the part we're going to focus on. The part that we're going to focus on tonight is that Jesus left heaven to come to earth. This is important for us. Jesus left heaven to come to earth. The pre-existence of Christ is a cornerstone belief in Christianity. I would argue, respectfully, that it sets Christianity apart from every other world religion. Every other world religion that has a central figure has a central figure whose life started like yours and I did. They didn't exist, they were born, and then they died. Jesus existed in heaven before he came to earth, and then when he died, he rose again from the dead. He set apart. He left heaven to come to earth. You've heard me say this many times. If you're going to follow someone somewhere, I want to know if you have been there before. There's a lot of people telling you to follow them to heaven. I'm following Jesus to heaven because Jesus knows how to get there. Because he left heaven to come to earth. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, 5 through 11. it's a chunk. I'm going to read it all. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. And that at that name... Of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He left heaven to come to earth. It is his incarnation example. Luke 9, 28 to 36. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time. It is the story of the Mount of Transfiguration. It's where the kind of the veil is pulled back and Peter, James, and John are allowed to see Jesus in his glorified state, his pre-earthly state, his heavenly state. Moses and Elijah are there. It's for us in the Bible a moment in time where we realized in a, in a historical moment that, that there's another realm that's waiting for you and for me. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. It is his example, his incarnation Example. So here's some questions for you. How often are you stepping into spaces that are unfamiliar to you? How often are you stepping into spaces that are unfamiliar? Are you willing to follow Jesus? And are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far will you go? How often are you stepping into spaces that are unfamiliar? I am so excited about this outreach that we're doing in the aqueduct for so many reasons. But can I just tell you one of the reasons why I'm excited? Because there's going to be a whole lot of people that it's going to be the first time they have ever stepped foot in an at-risk community in their entire life. For some of you, it's good. For some of you, you're not even sure if you're going to sign up yet, and your barrier is because you Google mapped it, and you I don't I don't know if I want to step into an at-risk community. What, what I would say is. Will you follow Jesus' example into the aqueducts? 
Are you willing to step foot into an unfamiliar space? For some of you tonight, you're sitting next to a Republican for the first time in your life. Some of you are like, well, for some of you, you're sitting next to a Democrat for the first time in your life. You're like, I thought I was a little itchy, a little scratch, got a rash, need some Benadryl. I was at a little mini conference on Monday to Wednesday, and some of the, I've been working on this message for a little while, but you're going to see some of those pieces are rolling in. God, God was, was, was helping me out and setting me up at the same time. But I had a conversation with a, a burgeoning friend, some, somebody I met a couple of years ago. We've been doing a lot of online things, but it's the first time we've really been able to sit down and have a long, meaningful conversation. And he sat down right in front of me at dinner. There was about 40 of us there. It was a, a little, little conference about inter, intercultural intelligence. We're going to talk more about that in just a few minutes. But he sat down in front of me, and then he was talking, and then I realized that he was assuming that I believed the same thing he did about these issues. And, 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 I, and I said to him, I, I said, I have some different ideas about that. And he kind of looked up for a minute, and he's, I know what he's thinking. I should have sat somewhere else. No, it wasn't what he was thinking. What he was thinking was, I can't wait to hear what he has to say. I could see he was, he was curious. We're going to talk about that tonight. He was curious. We talked for the next two hours like two little schoolgirls that sat on the bus next to each other for the first time. And, and, and then when we were done, you know, what, you know what he said to me? He said, he said, Fred, this is the first time that I can remember in my life where I've had this long of a meaningful conversation with someone who believes so dramatically different about these ideas than I do. That's progress. Are you willing to step into spaces that are unfamiliar my next one is this. How often are you with people who are dramatically different than you are? See, because it's one thing to step into an unfamiliar space. It's something else to step into a conversation with another person. You, you might be here saying, I'm willing to go to the aqueducts, but I, but I don't want to talk to anybody. See, see, what I would say is step into an unfamiliar space and be willing to have some conversations with some unfamiliar people. Maybe being at City Life is the first time in your life that you've ever been led in worship by a black man. No, not me. Not me. I was talking about Chris. He's so nice. Or it might be that tonight's the very first time that you've been willing to let a white man talk to you about Jesus. You with me? It's one thing to step into a space. It's something else to step into that space and step into a conversation with people. Maybe for you, since you've been at City Life Church, it's the very first time that your children sat down and shared a meal with someone who has a different skin color than they do. Are, are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far will you go? Because I believe his incarnation isn't just something that we celebrate theologically. I believe it's something that we're supposed to practice. How long are you willing to be in that space with those people? How long are you willing to be in that space with those people? See, incarnation is not visitation, it is habitation. 
Incarnation is not visitation. It is habitation. Jesus just didn't pop out of heaven into earth for a few minutes and get the work done and go back. Did he come and leave? He did, but he lived his whole life. His whole earthly life from birth to 33 years was right here. He left heaven to come to earth. It wasn't visitation. It was habitation. I'm not saying that you should move where you're living into a different community unless God speaks to you otherwise because sometimes he does. See, habitation doesn't just have to be about where you live. It can be about the habit that you form. Is there a habit in your life of being in spaces that are unfamiliar to you, interacting with people that are dramatically different than you, and does this practice characterize you? Revelation 7 9 to 12. I'm not going to go there either for the sake of time. But it talks about heaven being a place, and it uses the phrase every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. Are you, are you going to be uncomfortable there? Or, or are you going to get to heaven one day because you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, and it's the first time that you've been around people that look and sound differently than you do? Are you going to be the person that walks over to Michael and Gabriel, the archangels, and say, I don't know if those people are supposed to be here. And they might look at you and say, maybe you're not. This idea, right, of being around people that look and vote and think dramatically different, this was part of God's plan from the beginning. Each of us in our own way that is unique and be- is part of our Imago Dei. Every culture, every ethnicity is a reflection in some measure of our Father. Let's practice here before we get there. Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far are you willing to go? I'm just going to throw this chart up. I'm just going to show it to you. I'm not going to teach through it tonight because we don't have time. I've seen this chart multiple times before, but I I saw it again at this little mini conference. It's so good. It it, it talks about monocultural mindset versus intercultural mindset. Denial is that when you walk into a room with people that are dramatically different than you are and you don't even realize they're different, that you're the cultural bull in the china shop. These are the people we do not take on mission trips with us. Right? Because they create an international incident. Right? And then there's polarization. These are the people that see differences but judge it, meaning that all of these people are wrong and how they're different from me. Then there's minimization, right? which is saying we should all be the same. Then there's acceptance, which is learning how to value other people's differences. And then there's adaptation. Adaptation, every person who's been on a foreign mission trip has done this. It's about learning how to operate with respect to to the dignity of other people who are different than you are, whether you agree with it or not. There's all kinds of tests that you can take. Every person that takes this test, when I took this test, where you perceive that you are, where your test says that you are, is is very different. You tracking with me? Because we always think that we're better than we are. Right? We, We see, we're like, oh, I'm way up here, and then you might score, and you're like, you're not even on the trajectory yet. 
Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? Number two, vicarious example. Vicarious is a fancy word that means in place of or substitutionary. Jesus died in our place. He didn't deserve that death, and we don't deserve his grace. He, he died in our place. He, he didn't deserve that death, and we don't deserve his grace. Again, all these verses, you can get them online. I'm going to reference them, but Luke 9, 23, we always put the notes online the week after. Luke 9, 23, it says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way and take up your cross daily. It's a habitation. It's not a visitation. See, incarnation is a place where we live, and then dying to self is the norm, not the exception. And he says, follow me. Matthew 10, 38 reads this way. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. This is where we go back to John 1, 12. Believing and receiving, we are the children of God. Is, is there fruit and evidence as being part of his family by the way that we demonstrate to the world that we believe and receive? Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far will you go? Philippians 2, 1 to 4, going back to that chapter and reading the first few verses that set up this idea of Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth. Is there any encouragement from, from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and one purpose. You've heard me say this before. This is not a text that's talking about sameness. It's saying make room for the mind and the purpose of other people when it's different than your own. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. What is this talking about? It's talking about a lot of things, but one of the things it's talking about is move along the trajectory of intercultural intelligence. How are you dying to self on behalf of the people you are with who are not like you? Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far are you willing to go? Maybe you've dipped your toe in the water, so to speak, of the incarnation circle. Maybe you're, you're, you're thinking, Fred, I'm, I'm, I'm warming up to this idea that Jesus' example means that I've got to be willing to step out of familiar spaces for myself and into spaces with other people and build relationships with other people. I, I see that. My, my question is, will, will you come a little bit further with me? Because Jesus went a little bit further. He didn't just come, he died. He came here, but then he was willing to lay down his life for us, a vicarious death. How were you dying to self on behalf of other people that you were with who were not like you? We're going to put these three circles up again. Because I just want you to ask yourself, this question for a moment. Is his example my experience? Make it personal. Is his example my experience? How far am I willing to follow him? Are, are, are you an incarnation person? And if you're not, are you willing to become that? Are you willing to start following Jesus' example in that area of your life? And if you are, would you be open to the possibility that circle two is for you also? That Jesus' example fully is for you? 
and fully is for me. There's going to be nine words that pop up on the screen. I think it's nine. It's nine. These are from a new friend, Paul McConaughey. I hope that he's going to be in this pulpit sooner rather than later. He's from England. He has a, a fascinating story. He's part of this group that I've been attached to for the last few years. I'm a, a pastor mentor in this group that's about raising up young leaders in the state of Virginia for, for ministry, for vocational ministry. And, and, and this week I saw the, this list of these nine practices. He doesn't call them this. I'm going to reach out to him and say, I've borrowed your nine things. They're, they're, he uses them in a similar application, but I'm, these, I think, are the nine best words that I've seen in a long time for what it looks like to die to self when you're an incarnational person. This is what I think that what Jesus' example translates. We're not supposed to die for others the way that Jesus died for others because there only needed to be one redemptive act for the forgiveness of sin for all of time. But his example, I think, is still relevant to us. Dying to self, I think, looks like this. Are you willing to learn from people who look differently than you are? Are you willing to move into their spaces and not always ask them to come into yours? Especially if you're part of the dominant culture. Are you willing to give thanks? Are you willing to give thanks for all the people that are different than you are? Are you tolerating them or are you celebrating them? Are you willing to listen to people that think differently than you do? Are you willing to partner with them? Are you willing to, especially if they are a devoted follower of Christ, are you willing to join with them in building the kingdom? Are you willing to befriend someone? Oh, this, this, this other one right here, this one's hard. Are you willing to amplify the voice of someone who's not being heard, even if you don't agree? And it doesn't mean amplifying every voice, because that's not what this is about. It means, are you willing to amplify the voices that have been marginalized? Are you willing to amplify the voices that have been silenced? It, it, it doesn't mean that we're supposed to amplify the points of views and the perspectives that maybe have been the dominant voice and the dominant point of view for decades, sometimes centuries, because... They've been heard. The question is, will we help someone else be heard? Will we help someone else be heard? Oh, the story of the Syrophoenician woman and how she's crying out to be ministered to. And the disciples say to her, come on, Jesus loves people. Like, No, that's not what they said. They said, why don't you shut up? He doesn't have time for you. I don't know. Then Jesus enters into that, another sermon, another text for another time. Why does Jesus do that? Because I think he's trying to show the disciples how ugly their behavior is by shining a light on it. And then he whips, they have whiplash. All of the disciples in heaven are going to have a neck brace from the whiplash that they suffered from following Jesus in moments like that. Jesus in that moment, what did he... He brings her in. He amplifies her voice. Someone who's not being heard. Are you willing to amplify the voices of people, whether you agree with them or not, who have been silenced and marginalized in society? Are you willing, as you learn and as you grow, are you willing to begin to help train others? Are you willing to let them learn from your mistakes and also your victories? Are you willing to pray in your prayer life? If you are a person who prays, 
if you are a person who prays, over the last 30 days, how often have you prayed for someone who looks and thinks differently than you do? And I'm not talking about prayers of imprecation like out of Psalms. That's a Bible joke. That's where David prays that his enemies are going to die and suffer and their children are going to be thrown on the sword. I'm not talking about that kind of praying. I'm talking about prayers of blessing and favor. What, is your, what, what, are your, what, what does your prayer life look like? These are nine great words, are they not? This is what I'm talking about, dying to self. There's going to be two more circles that pop up here. This is something that I've just started doing over the last few months. It's, it's changing me. When I hear something that bothers me, when I hear something that troubles me, when I read something that I disagree with, <coughs> Facebook, <clears throat> sorry, a little something in my throat. A little drink of water. Some of you, are, you've been scrolling tonight instead of paying attention. And you're all worked up because of something you read that bothers you. This is something I've, I've been making, and it's hard. I've said, I'm, before I step into a circle of concern, I'm going to step into a circle of curiosity. Before I step into a circle of concern, I'm going to step into a circle of curiosity. And sometimes I still end up in a circle of concern. But can I tell you, I've ended up there less. I've ended up there less. Are, are you willing to step into a circle of curiosity before you step into a circle of concern when you hear something that bothers you or that you don't agree with or, dare I say, is offensive to you? The end goal is not that we all agree. That's not the end goal because that's not ever going to happen. That's why the Bible talks about harmony. It doesn't talk about sameness. Our goal is not agreement because that's impossible. The goal is not sameness. God doesn't want us all to come out the other end exactly alike. The end goal is not abdication. This is why sometimes people get frightened by conversations like this because they are afraid that someone is going to ask them to lay down a core value that they feel like God himself has given them. Or, or sometimes do we have values that are wrong that's, that's part of false thinking? Yes. But sometimes you've got a value that you're never supposed to let go of that stands in contradiction to a value that someone else is never supposed to let go of. This conversation is not about abdication. Can, can you just hear me say that when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't conceding? When Jesus said it's finished and he breathed his ass, he wasn't saying, okay, you got me. You were right and I was wrong. That's not what he was doing. He conceded nothing, nothing, but he still died. And with one of his dying breaths, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Vicarious death, his example. Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far are you willing to go? It's not about concession. It's about dying for people. I don't like it any more than you do. But it's the example that we have. 
How often are you asking the question, what is in the best interest of people around me who are different from me? How often are you asking yourself the question, what is in the best interest of the people around me who are different from me? These these are going to be some of my measures for success, for us as a church corporately. How well are we doing in following Jesus' incarnation example? How well are we doing following his vicarious example? It's deeper understanding of one another, deeper grace for one another, deeper relationship with one another, and deeper desire to serve one another. These, these are going to be some of our measures. Or, or, or back in uh, my years of corporate America before I crossed over into vocational ministry, these are some of our KPIs, our key performance indicators. Because God's got some KPIs for us. How, how well are we doing? If City Life Church is a church that you're going to call home and you look around this room as you see each other on Facebook, which we know that we're doing, and you're troubled by stuff that you see, in three months from now, do you have a deeper understanding of that person that's troubled you because you chose to step into a circle of curiosity instead of a circle of concern? Concern without curiosity always draws us out of relationship. Always. Do you have a deeper grace? Are you finding deeper relationships? Is there something inside of you that says, I want to serve that person? Oh, because that's Jesus coming alive inside of us. That is Jesus coming alive inside of us and chasing away the decay of our humanity. The resurrection example. I don't have a definition slide for this one because I, I, I think whether or not you're a church person or not, you understand what resurrection is, right? It's something that's dead that is now alive. Philippians 3, 10 to 11 says, I, listen, this, listen to what Paul says. Re- read this verse in light of everything that we've been saying tonight that I believe also comes from Scripture. Philippians 3, 10 to 11, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want me some circle three in my life. I want to suffer with him. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying he understands that there can be no circle three without circle two. I want to suffer. He doesn't say, and if I have to suffer, I guess I will. I want to suffer. Why? Because Paul understands that they are sequential. He understands you got to pass through to get to. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Whew. Come on. You go, Paul. Romans 8, 11 says, The Spirit of God, Paul wrote right to the church of Rome also, wrote to the church of Philippi. Now we're reading in his letter to the church of Rome. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. If you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, the same measure of the Spirit's in you that was in Paul. It's in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit that is within you. 
Oh, I love the story. I was born in 67. I grew up in a home that where my parents, we grew up in the Episcopal Church, and my parents experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 70s, like all mainline denominational churches did in the 70s. My, my parents became a, a part of a group that met in one another's homes as Bible studies, and none of them left their churches. They just, they, they found a common experience, and so there were families like ours that came from the Episcopal Church and the local Presbyterian Church and Methodist Church and Baptist Church and so on and so on. And they would, we, we, I, would I grew up as this little kid just hanging out in people's homes and heard my parents in this room singing these choruses. And, and, and one of them, I'm not going to sing it, don't get nervous, Chris, right here in Acts 3, right where it's Peter and John went up one day to the temple to pray. He met a lame man who stuck at his hand and this is what, right? Oh, it's such a good song. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple area, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, right? The song went, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto thee. I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God. That's how the chorus went. Walking and leaping and praising God. I want to sing so bad right now, I can't stand it. <laughs> but you won't be able to stand it either, so I won't. And he went into the temple with them. You reading the story with me? His whole life, he was always on the outside looking in. God help us. His whole life, on the outside, looking in. Whew. God help us. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising. And when they realized he was the lame beggar that they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And then all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Who are you holding tightly to? I'm just reading this as a question. This is the part of the sermon where I'm saying I have more questions than I have answers. I feel like up until this point, I still have questions just like everybody else, but I feel like I have, over this last year, I'm finding myself with more answers than questions. But when I get to this part of the sermon, I still have, I think, more questions that I have answers. And this is why, this is the question that I'm wrestling with with God, and I'm just confessing it to you. Is it possible that one of the reasons that we don't see Christians, myself included, moving in the same power as we see Christians in the first century, like in the book of Acts, like in this story, is it because we keep trying to skip the steps of incarnation and vicarious dying? Is one of the reasons why we don't see, because we believe as a church that what happened here can happen now, we're not cessationists. We don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit were just for the birthing of the church. We believe that they're for the world until Jesus' return. 
And we pray that way and we believe that way. But I'm trusting for you unless you've got all kinds of secrets that you're not telling about raising people from the dead that I don't know about. Where are these stories today? You see it oftentimes in other places around the world. You do some missions work, you see some stuff. Whew. But we don't see it here. Not very often. Is it because we keep trying to skip the steps of incarnation and vicarious dying? Is it possible that we're not going to see that resurrection power moving in our midst until we're willing to follow Jesus' example to get there? Are we willing to pass through to get to? We're not going to do a closing song. Got just a few more things that I want to share. Acts 1.8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You've heard me say this before. I love Bishop Claude Alexander's point of view on this. He says this was never supposed to just be about geography. If you've grown up in the church, it's always been taught for us about geography, right? About home missions versus foreign missions. I think there's still an application there. I don't think it's the primary Bishop Claude Alexander says that Jerusalem stands for people that are like you. Judea stands for people that look down on you. Samaria stands for the people that you look down upon. And until you learn how to minister to all three of those groups, you're not ready to take the gospel to the rest of the world. Come on, preach somebody. So good. Are we willing to pass through to get to? Are you willing to follow Jesus' example? How far are you willing to go? I'm going to invite you to stand with me. He's always back there when he's supposed to be. So Nathaniel, he's good. He's good. Can, can, I just, can I just change gears on you for a minute? I just want to shift it up just for a moment. If you want to talk more about what I'm talking about tonight, I'm here. I love these kinds of conversations. You want to get together for lunch? You want to grab coffee? Me, Pastor Justin, Pastor David, Chris, any of us, we love, we love these conversations. We love these conversations. If, if things that you're hearing tonight are things that you've never heard before or things that are troubling you, just stay curious. Stay curious before you get concerned. But I just want to shift for a minute because this verse and the Bible reading plan that, that I've been in is the chronological plan. I try to pick different plans each year. has had me in 1 Kings 12, 19. And, and, and I just, I've just felt that somebody's supposed to hear this. I, I, when you're reading the Bible, there should be moments, right, where just it's, it's like the Holy Spirit has a divine highlighter. And he's high, you might not even know why he's highlighting it. But as, as, as I was reading this a few days ago, it says, And to this day the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. It was talking about the civil war that took place in Israel in their history when Solomon's son Rehoboam did not give the right answer. And then there was a great split between the northern kingdoms and the southern kingdoms. And, and the commentary in Scripture it says, And to this day the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. And, and that verse has just been on me. And, and so I feel like as I've been praying about it, this is, this is why 
is it this this verse isn't just talking about history i i believe it's also prophetic because we know jesus is of the house of david he's a descendant of david and so i believe there's something prophetic in here that that maybe some of you are wrestling with maybe you're watching online maybe you're not watching online maybe you you you're you're watching this message 5 years from now this message could be for you that sometimes we make an agreement with something that comes from us from generations past, that's handed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. And I've had such a sense that someone who's hearing this moment right now, that you have accepted an agreement that has come to you generationally that you are not going to follow Jesus. You're not going to follow him. You were born into it. You've embraced it. And in this moment, you feel the tension of that agreement. You you feel the tension, meaning that something that you cannot explain is pressing on your heart and saying, you've got to break free from that agreement because Jesus is the one that you're supposed to follow. And you don't want to do it because you don't, this is what you've been saying to yourself. I don't want to become like that person that I said that I would never be by going back on my word. Sometimes there are agreements that are supposed to be broken in this life. It it might be that you're saying, I don't want to follow Jesus if the Christianity I've seen is the Christianity I have to live. And if that's your feeling, my sense is probably what you've seen is not supposed to be what you're supposed to live. And we'd love to help you figure that out. If you're here and you've made that agreement, I'm just going to pray for you in a minute that you're just going to Set that agreement down. It might even be that you would be so bold tonight if you're in this room that you're just going to come kneel at this altar. And that's going to be your way of saying, I'm going to lay that agreement down. And that when you walk away, that in your imagination, you're going to have this sense of Jesus being just a couple of steps ahead of you and you're going to follow him for the rest of your life. I pray for the person that's in their living room that they're going to kneel where they're sitting if this is for them. That wherever they might be in this, whatever setting that they're in, that they're going to, if this is for them, that they're going to physically posture themselves in a place of kneeling. If you're in this room, I'm just going to invite you to step out of this feeling of being uncomfortable because you got to get used to being uncomfortable for the rest of your life if you're going to follow Jesus' example. And you would find yourself at this altar kneeling tonight. Father, I pray for all of us that we would follow the example of your son that you sent to us and that we would follow him all the way. All the way for the rest of our days that his example is going to be our experience. We believe, Father, that your Bible tells a story and we have a part to play. Help us to walk in it. In Jesus' name, come on and everybody sit together.